All right, well, thank you guys for being here tonight. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to go to Galatians. And we're going to do a little bit of leaping around later, but we're going to try to stay close to there for a while. So a quick overview of Galatians. Galatians, of course, was written by Paul somewhere in the neighborhood of A.D. 50, which is, would have been 15 to 20 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So pretty close um, to all of those events. And it was most likely after his first missionary journey and uh, written to the churches of Galatia. Uh, something that I found kind of interesting is that... Uh, you know, in a lot of his other letters, he wrote to one particular church body or one particular location. But here he was, he was actually writing to an entire region, a region and this would be a region in, in present-day Turkey today. And um, this, uh, this letter he wrote, just by virtue of the fact that he wrote it to an entire region, there's a certain urgency in Paul's tone in this letter, and even frustration and even anger at times. And so we're going to see a little bit of that as, as we get into the Word a little bit later. One of the major themes in Galatians, perhaps the biggest theme, is our freedom in Christ. In Galatians 5.1 it says, For freedom Christ has set us, set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And of course, that yoke of slavery he's talking about is works righteousness or uh, our attempts at being religious and doing good things in order to gain acceptance by God, which is a huge, a huge issue in this letter. Uh, you know, we talk a lot about freedom this time of year, especially at the beginning of July. We have July the 4th, Independence Day, and we, and, uh, we talk about the Declaration of Independence, and we talk about freedom and all the freedoms we enjoy and we and we should have those conversations i think we are tremendously blessed to enjoy the freedoms that we do understanding that there are a lot of places in this world where we couldn't even meet like this tonight and so i think certainly we should thank god for the freedoms he's given us and and i don't want to gloss over that or overlook it but that is not the freedom that paul is talking about in this letter at all and i think it's important to draw the distinction between those two things and so uh, Jesus says in John 8.32, And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what we're going to discover very quickly as we look into Galatians is that truth becomes the bedrock upon which we stand um, whenever uh, we're talking about living a life of godliness and living a life of freedom. Our freedom in Christ is through the gospel, we are reconciled to God and justified by faith alone in Christ alone. There is no, and this is important. There is nothing that we can do to be accepted by God on our own. And, and also, there is nothing that we can do to fall out of acceptance with God. And we know this uh, from another uh, one of Paul's writings at the beginning of Philippians. In six. he says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of, Christ, of Jesus Christ. And so we know that whatever God has begun, He is going to finish. And, um, and uh, there are a lot of ways that we can fail God, but there's no way that we can mess up His plan of redemption. Amen? And that, is a, that ought to be a huge encouragement to us when we're blowing it big time, because I know that I've done that plenty of times. And uh, this is, of course, not to say that we can confess Christ and then just wander aimlessly doing whatever. Right? There's a plan that God has for us when He saves us. And uh, if you look a little further down, that first verse about freedom in Galatians 5 was in the first verse. If you go down to verse 13, Paul clarifies this a little more. He says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, 
but through love serve one another. So we really have to, Paul's really drawing the distinction here between liberty and license. Okay, we weren't given the grace of God to just have license to do whatever, but we were given the, the liberty, you know, he said in that previous one, he has he's set us free for freedom, the freedom to be able to love him and to serve one another. And so we have a salvation then that works, not a salvation by works, and that's very important. Okay, a couple of other notes about freedom. Freedom by the world standards, no matter how good or well-intentioned, can be taken away, can't they? Um, when we talk about the freedoms we enjoy, those could go away. Something could happen, those could go away. But we know that the freedom we experience through the gospel can never be taken away because we didn't secure it in the first place. It was a, it was a work and an act of God in our lives. And, and the second thing about freedom is that worldly freedom is op- often apprehended through force. We see this in the Bible. We see this outside the Bible. There are armies. There are militaries. And a lot of times, in order for a civilization to obtain freedom, they have to fight wars. And it has to be done through force. But we know that freedom in Christ is always gained through surrender. And again, I think that's a really, really important distinction when we talk about the freedom, the, the, the worldly freedom we're talking about, which we are thankful for, but the, the freedom in Christ that we are ultimately and uh, much more thankful for because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. And so a quick outline then of Galatians. I promise I'm not going to try to cover this whole epistle, so just if you're worried about that. Uh, but I'd, I did want to give us a nice little overview here. And so the quick outline then, Paul really spends the first couple of chapters of Galatians sharing his personal experience and testimony in defense of his own apostolic authority. And this is going to become very important when he begins to talk about some of these really weighty doctrinal issues because if Paul doesn't have credibility then uh, I I really think he believes that these folks are not going to listen to the gospel message that he has, and they're just going to write it off as as just another man's opinion, okay? And so uh, chapters 3 and 4 then, uh, justification by faith for for Jews and Gentiles alike, and then in chapters 5 and 6, Paul explores the practical implications of these truths of, of justification by faith and how we gain true freedom uh, in godly living uh, once we have come to faith in Christ. So uh, we are actually going to spend the bulk of our time in just the first ten verses of Galatians uh, this evening. And I've entitled my message, Not From Men Nor Through Man. And you're going to see very quickly why I, where I got that. It was not very creative. It's right there in the first sentence. So I'm just going to go ahead and read the first ten verses and try not to stop. Okay, this may be the only cohesive thing that happens all night, but we're going to try. So here we go, Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to, to, excuse me, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, before I read these, I said I was going to read them without stopping, but I think something interesting happens here. If you read a lot of Paul's other letters, this is the point at which he usually issues some kind of an encouragement or commendation to to the, the body of believers that he's writing to, and it is not present in Galatians. It does not happen. Paul launches right in with some pretty strong language. And it actually is going to sort of open up, uh, uh, kind of get us into the, the first point of my message this evening. 
And I'm sort of going to preach this in reverse order. We're going to deal with the verses 6 through 10, and we're going to back up and do 3 through 5, and then we're going to back up and end. Uh, it was the only way that made sense in my mind, so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or not. But anyway, so we're going to, we're going to read uh, verses 6, 6 through 10. But point number one, uh, we're going to explore Paul's motive for writing this letter, sort of under the umbrella of all the things we've already talked about. So in verse 6 he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Okay, so there's a lot packed into these verses. And we're going to start and uh, just give you a little more background to, to give us an insight into why Paul was writing this way and what was, what was so urgent in, in the tone that he was writing in. Paul was addressing the, the Gentile Christians in the region of Galatia. We talked about that. Uh, where he had previously planted churches. These would have been places like Antioch, at Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. These are all in Acts. And, um, and I believe on that particular missionary journey, he was uh, a, a group of uh, zealots like, followed him from one city to another and stoned him. So this was not a pleasant missionary trip for Paul um, before he even writes this letter. And so uh, they were being persuaded, these Galatian uh, folks in this region were being persuaded by Jewish teachers in the region that they had to practice all the traditional ceremonial customs of the law of Moses as the Jewish Christians did. They taught that the Gentiles had to observe all the dietary laws and be circumcised for full acceptance and to be completely pleasing to God. And so uh, there's a couple of words I just wanted to, to point out in here that I think are really that kind of grabbed my attention. The first one was in verse 6. He says, I am so, that I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. Of course, he's addressing the, the, the Galatians at this time. And the, the, that word deserting there means to transpose or to put one thing in place of the other. So it's like Paul said, I came in, we planted the church, you embraced the, the gospel of Christ by faith alone, and now you are allowing this religion to be imposed on top of it again, okay? And the verb there is passive, so it's not like he was accusing them of aggressively seeking out some other religion, but they were just being really passive and allowing uh, the, pre the outside pressure to, to get the best of them, and it was beginning to affect the way they did ministry in the region. And this is, this is why Paul was concerned about it, because he was seeing a fundamental problem uh, beginning to take place uh, as, as a result of that. And the other word that I wanted to talk about is the word accursed. You've probably heard the word anathema. And this word is, is about as strong as it gets. When somebody uses that word uh, to speak about someone else, that's, that's it's pretty serious business. It essentially means a thing devoted to God for destruction, essentially, or without hope of redemption. And so uh, you, you see the judgment of God in that. And something that's pretty horrifying, a horrifying picture, I, I, I think, when, I, when we see that word somebody use it. They don't use it lightly. Paul uses it twice in this particular passage. I do think it's interesting that Paul, um, one thing I really like about Paul is that he always held himself accountable first 
Before he points the finger at anyone else, look what he says there in verse 8. He says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. So he was saying, if I come back later and preach another gospel, if I come back later and tell you, no, you've got to start doing X, Y, and Z on top of your faith in Christ, let me be accursed for that. And that, again, I, I think that's... Uh, that struck me when I read that. And then, of course, he goes on and re- kind of restates the same thing. The first time he said the gospel we preach to you, and then the second time, in the second sentence in verse 9, he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received. Okay, so you see the little difference there. Uh, let him be accursed. Okay, so Paul was really targeting uh, mainly two groups in this. I-, I added a third group in here. And so we're going to talk about this really briefly and if you want to turn to these in your quickly, they're all in Galatians. Uh, Galatians 1.6, we've already read. This is obviously addressed to the, to the Galatian Christians. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Then t- if you look over in chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he addresses them again. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? So again, you can see the, 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 sort of the, the conflict that's going on here and uh, the inconsistency with, what, with their profession, with what he was saying. And then in uh, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, uh, Paul says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that, were, that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. So, wow. <laughs> There's a lot there. Uh, you know, I used to always think... <clears throat> I, I, I used to always think of like fleshly or carnal sins when I read that little phrase about the weak and worthless elementary principles in the world. And, and I, I guess on some level you could, but I really still, still, thinking, I, I really still think that Paul's talking about works righteousness and our, our efforts to try to gain acceptance from God through our efforts. I really think that's what he's talking about here, although it could certainly be applied over to the other. And then, of course, later, Paul does give some actual practical admonitions. We're not going to talk about those um, anymore right now. And then the second group, actually, uh, uh, it's actually an individual. Uh, Paul has some, some words to say to Peter, and these are in ver- uh, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And it says there in verse 11, but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when he came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, and that's kind of the key phrase there, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So essentially he's saying, you know, Peter, you're setting a really, really bad example and precedent here. Um, You're drawing lines that we have already preached don't exist anymore between Jew and Gentile. But there was a lot of social pressure there, and and Peter buckled, and and Paul called him on it. And so that's sort of the second uh, 
you know, the second group, you know, because he, he included Barnabas and some other Jews in that as well. But then a third and probably the most strongly are the Judaizers. Okay, in verse 1-7, we've already read this. Uh, it says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And then if you look over in chapter 4, verse 17, uh, speaking of the Judaizers, Paul says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. So it sounds like they were probably pretty warm to the Galatian people. It wasn't that they were coming in there and hitting them over the head with this stuff. It sounds like that they were appealing to them. Uh, but Paul said it was for no good purpose because he saw that it was cutting against the purpose of the gospel uh, in their lives. And then the third one is in uh, chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. This is the one where you can, you know, it's almost like he's gritting his teeth when he wrote it. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And again, I, that's, when you consider that he's right to a region, I thought about that. It's like, he, it's like if you allow the seed to be planted over here, it's going to spread over here and it's going to go over here. And I, I just can't help but think that that's sort of in his mind when he's writing this. Uh, to this to the to this entire region he says in verse 10 i have confidence in the lord that you will take no other view and and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty whoever he is but if i brothers still preach circumcision why am i still being persecuted in in that case the offense of the cross has been removed i wish those and this is uh, verse 12 i wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves so uh again not kind words from paul and uh I guess you probably know what that means. All right. So anyway, we kind of see Paul's motive here in writing this letter. In some, in some of the groups he was targeting, obviously he was seeing the gospel twisted and distorted. And we know once that happens, it's no longer the gospel. Okay, he mentions that in the first ten verses. So let's look at Paul's message in verses 3 through 5 of chapter 1. Okay, so in verse 3 it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So first thing I, I kind of noticed is, notice the parallelism sort of in this statement. He starts off and he talks about grace over here, and he talks about peace over here in the first part of the sentence. And then when you go to the next phrase, he talks about God the Father, and he talks about Jesus Christ. So on the first half... On the first half of that, then, we see the providential grace of God, the Father. And in the second half of that parallelism, we see the practical outcome of peace in our lives through Jesus Christ. And I think that's a really cool thing. Um, and uh, this is part of his, his address or his introduction. And so that's what really struck me about this. It's like he got down to business in the first couple of verses and, and really skipped with the pleasantries. Um, and so we see really a nice encapsulation, really quick and powerful encapsulation of the gospel right here. Uh, this, of course, is Paul's message. It always was. It's the gospel of Christ. And we see who God is in this passage. He's our gracious Father who grants us peace through Jesus. We also see what Jesus did. He gave himself for our sins. We also see uh, our condition or our situation in this particular passage, our need for his deliverance to deliver us from the present evil age. And of course, at the end, he wraps it up by saying, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, uh, which of course ties back into sort of the title of our message, the fact that this is not from men nor through man. Um, the fact that uh, this message, the message that, that Paul is preaching is not a message that Paul came up with on his own. Uh, but it's one that God gave directly to him. Okay, so we've seen his motive, 
We've seen his message, and now we're going to spend the, the last uh, few minutes here looking at the man Paul just a little bit. And this is where I spent mo- I've found myself camped out most of the time in my study. So I'm going to try to move through this as quickly as possible uh, and still try to sort of effectively convey uh, what's here in the text. So it says here, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So right off the bat, Paul declares himself as an apostle. Okay, And this was very, very important because Paul's apostolic, basically the legitimacy of his message was, was bound up in, in his authority as an apostle for him to say that I have received direct divine re- revelation from God and here it is. If, if that's not true, then you can't believe anything he says after the first couple of sentences in this, in this letter. So Paul knew how vitally important it was that he establish a defense for his own apostolic authority. That's why he spent two chapters talking about it. And so, uh, of course, this was not Paul's uh, attempt to build himself up, to puff himself up by talking about, you know, what a great guy I am. I'm, I'm an apostle. Okay. On the contrary, by by defending his own apostolic authority, Paul, what Paul was essentially doing was saying, this, these are God's words, not mine. He was effectively removing himself from the equation, was he not? In fact, in, verse, uh, in chapter 6, verse 14, Paul says, But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Okay, so we, I mean, if, when you really look at this fairly, uh, Paul was not looking at, he was not, this defense was not, in defense, of in, him, in defense of him as much as it was in the defense of God and his divine revelation and the gospel. Okay, so um, if you look in verses 11, if you look right, uh, let's, see, ver- let's see, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, this is right after where we stopped. Uh, Paul says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel, which we've already been talking about. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He also hints at his his authority in in chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. He says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. So you can see that he's drawing in terms of... uh, He's basically putting himself on the same plane as Peter as an apostle at that point. Okay, and it was very, it was very important that he did that. Okay, and so th- this little phrase that says "not from men nor through man," uh, the idea behind that would be then, because it almost sounds sort of repetitive. But when you talk about not from men, this would have been like the approval of men, or the endorsement of men, or the commission, you know, the commissioning of of a, of a body to, to to do something. That would have been sort of the idea behind "not from men nor through men" would have been. Something uh, referring to man's effort or what man could do to gain acceptance um, or reconciliation with God. But we know that that can't be. We know that in John uh, 1, 12 through 13, uh, John says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So it's sort of that same idea there where it was, it was not through man that Paul received his apostleship. In the same way that when we are saved and brought into relationship with Christ, that it is not from men nor through man. And that you can really you can kind of take that statement and frame it uh, over, over the Christian life, and it, will, it, will, it really does hold up. <clears throat> and uh, this is the only letter where Paul uses that little statement. He, he 
refers to himself as an apostle several times, but he never frames it in quite that way. So I think that's why it sort of stood out to me. Uh, and then, of course, uh, God who raised him from the dead. And we know that Paul always stayed very closely to the theme of resurrection. He even, uh, even pointed out the, fu- the futility of the gospel message and that Christians are, of all people, most to be pitied if it isn't true, right, in 1 Corinthians 15. And so, uh, and there are a myriad of other verses that we, could, we don't have time to explore on that. And all the, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, which we've already kind of talked about. And so what, I, what I'd like to do to try to try to wrap this up is uh, I want to talk about Paul's former life a little bit, and I want to use several scriptures to do this. I'm going to have, and I hope I, if, if these are wrong up here, it's totally my fault. It's not Roger's fault. I put them in, so hopefully, I did it kind of hurriedly, so I'm sorry. But we're going to start in, we're going to start in Galatians, <clears throat> I think. Yes, very good. So Galatians, we're already here, right? Now, you can turn to these, or you can just look up on the screen, because I'm going to go really fast, okay? So Galatians 1, 13 and 14 says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. So you can already begin to see sort of uh, the picture that we're getting of Paul before conversion. Now let's look in Philippians 3. And I'm going to start about halfway through verse 4. It says, if anyone, <clears throat> excuse me, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay? So obviously Paul, very devoutly religious, probably at I mean, I would say at the top of his class in terms of, in terms of uh, Judaism, uh, he kind of mentions that in Galatians. Now let's go over to Acts 20. Did I put 26 up there next? Yay. Okay, good. <clears throat> Acts 26, starting in verse 4. Uh, this, again, we're just building on this, this portrait of Paul before he was saved. My manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem, is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time, if they are willing to testify, that according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. Now we skip to verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and I, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. Okay, and I'm going to do one more uh, in Acts 22 if you back up a little bit. I'm going back to 22 because then we're going to sort of see the, we're going to see uh, when Paul's converted. And we're going to see when everything uh, is sort of flipped 180 here. Okay, so in Acts 22 verse 3. Uh, Paul says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the, at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, meaning Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to be taken uh, excuse me, to take those also who were there and to bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. Okay, so we can see through all of these different passages, a couple of them penned by Luke and Acts, and then a couple of them by Paul in, in his letters. Um, and Paul spoke often of his testimony, 
uh, in this way. Obviously, he did, and there are a couple other times in Acts that we didn't even get to. But hopefully what we can see through this is what happens to a man's life, a devoutly religious man's life, when he does it according to man, when it's from man, and when it's according to the effort of man. Okay? Notice that uh, Paul had the endorsement of men. He was receiving letters and commissions to go out and imprison and uh, persecute the Christians at that time. And he was operating in, under his own power and his own effort. Okay? And, and uh, underneath all of that, of course, was, was you, you would think, how does somebody get there? How does somebody get to the point where they're trying to follow God religiously? How, does that, how do you get from there to causing other people harm? Paul had been radicalized in a way that is really difficult to understand, except that, you know, the enemy just had a hold of him. And he was, I really believe that he fully thought he was doing the will of God when he was doing those horrible, awful things. I just think he was so deceived that it took a, it took what we're going to read next uh, uh, in Acts 22 in order for him to turn around. So in verse 5 of Acts 22, he says, as I was on my way, excuse me for a moment, and drew near to Damascus. About noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, excuse me, and one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well, well spoken of by the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, this is Jesus, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over their garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Let's go ahead and keep... Oh, what's the next one? Roger, show me the next one. So what I wanted to do on these other two real quick is... These are the verses immediately following the verses I read in these two places uh, a while ago. I, they're not up there. But remember a while ago, Paul has just been describing himself as righteous under the law and blameless. And then he says in verse 7 of Philippians, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So can you, can you see how everything is, everything is flipped over on Paul? On the one hand, he's self-righteous. He's following all the points of the law, and he, and he is basically torturing those that, aren't, that, are not, that are not following after it, especially the Christians. And then he's changed on the inside by faith in Christ. And we begin to see Paul's heart change, and we see it evidenced there in Philippians 3. Let's look now back to the, I think this is the last one, Galatians, yeah, 1, 15 through 17. So he's just, he's just finished talking about how extremely zealous he was for the tradition of his fathers. And then he says in verse 15, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Again, just a beautiful picture. I, I love in the scripture when it's like you're going this direction, and then they put that little conjunction in there where it says, but when he who had set me apart. It's kind of like, but God who is rich in mercy. You know, in, in Ephesians when he talks about that, I absolutely love when, and that's, what ha- that's exactly how Paul's conversion took place. It was, he was headed to Damascus to continue persecuting Christians, and Christ intercepted him and changed him forever. And so I just think through the life of Paul, through the man here, we just see a, a really, really beautiful picture of what happens to somebody whenever, they, whenever Christ gets a hold of them and how, how horrible they can be on the one hand, and then on the other hand, how, how God can break them and use them for his purposes. So I just wanted to, there's just a couple of things here I wanted to say about this. So, on the, uh, you know, before conversion, Paul was self-righteous, and now we see evidences of selflessness in his life. Uh, on, the, on the front, before he was converted, we saw a real sense of entitlement from him, and now we see sacrifice <clears throat> in Paul's life. Here's a couple of verses he wrote, um, or some things he said here that I think sort of evidence this that are not directly related to, relate to, to uh, Galatians, but I think sort of point out exactly where Paul, Paul's heart was. In Romans 9.3, Paul says, for I, could wish, so I, uh, for I could wish that myself were accursed and cut off from Christ <clears throat> for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Who says that? Who says that apart from a work of Christ in their hearts? 1 Corinthians 9, 19 says, for, for though I am free, free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. And then down in uh, verse 22, he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And then finally in Acts 26, after he had finished his defense before King Agrippa, uh, and this is right after King Agrippa had just said, you know, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. And so hopefully just through those, those verses and, and seeing what happened to Paul here, how his, even, even the way he wrote about himself, there was, there was such a transformation there that I think is undeniable. And so we have a couple, of, in closing here, I have a couple of takeaways. Uh, Paul's life before he met Christ teaches us that, <clears throat> that no matter how devout, devoutly religious we are, we can never gain God's acceptance through our, our, our own effort. It's not possible. And in fact, we saw how horribly wrong it went for him. Uh, Paul, and our second takeaway then is Paul understood the importance of a personal testimony. And this is something that I think we can really take to heart. 
the, the importance of a personal testimony and how it can convey the transforming power of the gospel, it reminds us again that our salvation is not from men nor through man. And I think that's important because <clears throat> um, sometimes when we, when we get into these books and we go right to chapter 3 of Galatians and we start reading all these doctrinal things and they're, they're, they're so dear to us and important to us, we tend to forget that these, these, all of these writings had a context. They were all happening. It wasn't like Paul sat down and just started spouting off a bunch of propositions and then dropped them into a letter. No, this was something that Paul, this was, this is something that was really impacting him in a way that he felt, uh, and God just used him in that way. You can just see the inspiration of God all over his writings in that way. So I want, I want to close with a little illustration and conclusion, and, and this is all from uh, a commentary by Tim, Tim Keller. But I just love this illustration. It may not be perfectly on point. I guess it is on point. Um, but I just loved it so much I wanted to share it. So it does relate directly to the gospel and how we relate to God. Uh, and the illustration is, imagine a father watching his beloved son play baseball for the team his father coaches. As he sits in the dugout, he loves his son fully and completely. If his, if his son forgets his father's instructions and strikes out, it will not change his love for him or approval of him one bit. The son is assured of his father's love regardless of his performance. But the son will long to hit that home run. Not for himself, but to gain his or not for himself to gain his father's love, but for his father because he is already loved. If he doesn't know his father loves him, his efforts will be for himself to win that love. But because he knows his father already loves him, his efforts are for his father to please him. And so the conclusion is, it's hard to read that and not get choked up a little bit. The, con the conclusion then is that the Christian is assured of God's love and approval. God is pleased with us in Christ. So the Christian longs to obey God, not for himself, so that, so that God will save him, but out of gratitude to God, who he knows has already saved him. And so Paul lives as a servant of Christ in verse 10. Paul's or God's approval liberates us to live in a way which God approves of. The gospel is both a powerful assurance and a powerful motivation to live in radical obedience. We do not live God's way in order to become his children, but out of gratitude that we are already God's children. And I think that's a good segue for us to pray for our children at Compass. Thank you. Wait, Crystal, come on up here. Amy, do you have a big long speech planned? Are you going to say anything? She's got it covered? Okay. All right. Yeah, she doesn't want the microphone either. Um, the, beauty of, uh, the beauty of marriage and ministry is that David rocked a three-point sermon. You notice all three letters started with M, alliterated. Notice the color coding on your papers there for Compass from Crystal. So uh, alliterated with three M's, color-coded the paper. Um, we're, we're in good hands here. But uh, Crystal, talk to us about Compass, share about this, and then we'll go do a prayer walk. <laughs> we like to make things organized. It's the only thing that keeps us together. So <laughs> um, I just, I, because it's been a year since I've gotten to talk to you guys um, about Compass, we 
finished our first year. I just wanted to give you a little bit update of where we are. And I'm telling you, Mr. Dale, if you start crying, I'm going to have to look away from you. <laughs> I can already feel it, Kevin. Um, so we had a great year. We learned a lot. It's been really fun. Amy and I laugh every single day. <laughs> um, but we, uh, we started out with one two-year-old class, um, two three-year-old classes. In fact, last time I was here, we hadn't opened our second one yet. We ended up having to open another one before school started because we had overflow. So we had two threes, and we had one four-year-old class, then our music and PE in Spanish. Um, and so this year, we've added another uh, pre-K class because we had so many return um, that we filled up one pre-K class with just our threes that are coming back from last year. So that was such a fun thing to find out and realize. Um, so we opened a new class, and Jennifer Davis is going to be one of our teachers in that new class. Everybody turn and look at her, make her real, feel real awkward. <laughs> um, so that's exciting, and um, those classes are filling up pretty quickly, but we have some spots in there since we've got two classes, and that's our biggest class. Um, we, we've got some spots. If you know any four-year-olds that are looking for a preschool, we'll take them. Um, and then we are, we have about five or six on a wait list for our twos class. So we are currently praying. Crystal is currently praying that she will not run ahead of anything and just start making plans. Uh, we really want to um, take our time and make sure that's the right plan for us. But we've got, we're hoping that we'll have enough to open another twos class. So that's a lot of growth in a little bit of time. Um, so we, Amy and I just always talked about it. And when we were deciding to open classes, we've just, the way that we look at it is if God's bringing the kids here um, and then we can find the teachers, if he's got the teachers ready, then that's a class. And so that's where we are. So we've got an interview this week. Um, we've already got somebody else kind of waiting to see if we're opening that class. So if, if, um, if you guys would be praying about that for us, that we would know the right um, decision to make on that. That's a huge immediate need for us. <laughs> Amy's nodding back there. Um, so that, that's kind of where we are. We're excited. We're continuing with the, um, the chapel curriculum that we used last year, which is through the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, the Emmaus staff rotates through on Mondays, and they come and teach our lesson. And then on Wednesdays, I review it because we have different kids on Mondays and Wednesdays. Um, so I, they get to review it and retell it. That's all those little practicing things they're doing. But they also get to learn those um, stories. And then on Thursday, we do our Spanish. And so that's kind of our, our rotation for that. But we're doing that again. Um, and so we'll, we had a lot of fun with that. But um, the teachers are going to report on August 16th. So basically once more schools go back to school, our teachers come to work. So um, when you guys go back there in the rooms, you will see them as they have been all summer with nothing in them and no kids. Um, but uh, just for you guys to be able to see where they're starting and just to be able to pray over that space um, for those teachers to come in there, they do a lot to make those spaces fun and um, inviting and just interactive with the kids. And um, you'll get to see that if you come back, you know, in a month or so, um, you can see all the things they've done. So we'd I'd love to show you around anytime you're back there. So that's our update. Do you want me to move into my instructions yeah, or? <laughs> okay. So because um, there's a lot of you. Thanks for coming. Um, I didn't want us all to be piled in rooms all together. So I have basically color-coded you into groups. See how I did that? Um, and so whatever colors of papers that you have, those are the kind of areas of the church you will be going to. And those are mapped on the back of your handy-dandy letter right here. Um, so the colors kind of match up on there, but they definitely match up on the rooms. So once you get over there, you should see a you should see a paper that looks just like the one you're holding um, so you know you're in the right spot. Um, and on these papers, it's just generally 
Um, it tells you about kind of the things that we do in those areas. So if it's a certain age group kid or if it's a certain activity that we do, you'll know what we do there um, to be able to pray for that. And some specific prayer requests for those kinds of activities and people involved in that. So hopefully that's pretty clear. Um, then when you get to the classrooms, um, you're going to, there's a couple things. First one is these little, these little guys. Um, this is, I call these a bio booklet because I came from consulting background and that's what they call them. But this is Meet the Team. It's the preschool version of a bio booklet. Um, it tells you about all of our teachers. Um, and so those are in the classrooms. You can take those or just look at them there either way. But it lets you know kind of the people that are involved in teaching these kids every, every time. And the other thing is this one, also color-coded circles. Um, and that, those are class descriptions. So if you're wondering if you have people that you know that are looking for a preschool, this will tell you. So the twos are green, and the threes are orange, and the blues are fours. Um, and then the music and P is the little turquoise. So if you, if you have people that you know that are interested in preschool, this is a great way to kind of share what we do around here. Um, also, there's some more information in the back. If you got certain colors and you want to also see the rest of them, there's extra copies back there. Feel free to take or go or be anywhere you want. goodness what does that say I think it's lunch the yellow pager the yellow paper playground and gym so you're in the gym and then the playground is the enclosed one not the one outside mm -hmm. then the orange is the chapel chapel yep. and lunchroom yeah orange chapel and lunchroom so the the chapel is just really not a chapel because like we know we call this room the chapel but it's where we do our chapel and this year it's going to be in the lunchroom we're moving that around a little so the lunchroom you'll see all of our tables set up and when you go in there and see all those tables set up just imagine all those tables filled with little ones because <laughs> harper was helping me today we set out those tables and it's a, there's a lot of kids in there, and all of us eat lunch together. The teachers are in there. It's loud and fun, but you'll get a sense for how many kids are here when you see all those tables set up. And then the other ones are a little bigger. All right, so let's do this. I want to pray over uh, Compass and our leaders, and then you have about 10 minutes or so uh, to hit the, the two rooms. If you're worried about the walking, um, say, I can't walk all the way back out there, just Stay right here. Just pray over that back table. Pray in this room. But do pray together in a group before you leave. Don't, don't head out here without spending time in a group to, play to pray together. I hope if you can make the walk, you'll walk to wherever your room is. But also understand if you can't do that, take advantage of gathering right here, maybe even around that back table um, if you'd want to do that and, and pray. So let's pray together. At this point, you'll be dismissed. Spend the next 10 minutes um, going around in groups to the places Crystal has for you there. So. God, thank you for the opportunity tonight to, to think about the message of the gospel through Galatians. Father, I pray that that simple message would be the same message that is communicated to the kids um, and the families who come through Compass uh, as we're developing these kids, helping them know the message, uh, helping them to keep motive in the right place. God, I pray for the decision about starting another class, God, that you would provide the right teacher. God, thank you for Crystal and Amy and their desire not to do something just because it's right there. They want to do it because you're leading them to. But, God, we pray that you would open up this class, that there would be more kids, more families that we could be able to reach, uh, that they'd be the right teacher in the right place. God, I thank you for a church family that uh, reaches across generations that desires to pray for one another. And, God, even as we walk around the building tonight, uh, help us to have our eyes open, our hearts open to what you want to say to us as we pray with one another. 
Uh, God, we thank you again for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.